Broadcasting from the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Do you like 200-inch deer? Because we've got one to show you this week on the show. Welcome to Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen, along with uh, Dan Amundsen over there. Dan, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. David Eckhart is also joining us. In the oh, other hello. Co- and in that corner, <laughs> David Eckhart, wearing the brown cargo pants. <laughs> great job. You should change jobs and introduce WWE. Yeah, that'd be a great career choice for me, I'm sure. Uh, we got a great show. <laughs> Wrong. You lose. We got a great show for you. We're going to talk to Blake Rice from TSS Shot. He shot a giant deer uh, this year, and, and is it's a pretty neat story about how he did it, too, and the anticipation of uh, walking up on it and whether it was a good hit or not. We're going to talk to him about that whole process and where it sits in the record books coming up later in the show. We've also got Joe Henry joining us. We've got another Lake of the Woods report. We'll talk about uh, cooking up burbot too and if you haven't tried it yet we'll give you some ideas on uh on how to do it uh dan who is this week's show brought to us this by? week's show is brought to us by on x norries stand with on x lake of the woods tourism lake of the woods is the wall of capital plan a trip for this winter at lake of the woods mn.com live target match the hatch with live target lures at live target lures.com hey bell heights campground and resort book a trip to devil's lake in north dakota learn more at heybellheights.com Alclair Audio, save your hearing in the field with Alclair. Learn more at alclairoutdoors.com. Riverbend Resort at Lake of the Woods. Join us at Lake of the Woods January 29th, February 1st for a discounted rate. Learn more at riverbendresort.com. Ottertail Lakes Country, find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman, the new season starts Sunday, this Sunday, but you can watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel. We've got a really cool episode kicking off the season two this Sunday night. Uh, we're at the Polly Larson Fishing Tournament on Lac Parle Lake. We'll find out who Polly Larson was, why this tournament is here, and uh, just what a great turnout this tournament gets and who all is behind it and why it's important. We've also, uh, we visit with Chris Domeyer. He's the Ortonville Area Fisheries Supervisor. I think I got that right. And uh, we went out and did... Uh, some netting of fish in uh, Marsh Lake, Minnesota River system there to see uh, how the effects of the Marsh Lake Ecosystem Restoration Project, what effect that was having on fish and fish reproduction and the species of fish that are reproducing in the lake. And then we also talk about uh, relocation of mussels in the Palm de Terre River. The Palm de Terre River, this, you guys, this project is... I mean, we, we're all kind of uh, used to hearing about it now, of course, because it's been a couple of years, but they basically took a river back 80 years ago, 70, 80 years ago, they took the Palm de Terre River and rerouted it to go above the Marsh Lake Dam. And then here about four years ago, they rerouted it back to its original channel. Like, that's just moving rivers around. Like, that's <laughs> pretty wild. And mussels were living in those rivers. So they actually relocated a bunch of mussels from where the river channel was going to disappear where it was going to dry up. They pulled those mussels out and moved them elsewhere. And then where they were going to bring the river back into its old slash now new channel again, they purposely didn't put any in, any, any in there because they wanted to see how long it would take for mussels to recolonize in that reconstituted part of the river. So we went out with them. They had scuba gear. We went underwater with them. It was pretty cool. And we found out uh, how mussels are doing in the Pond de Terre River in their, in their new old, old new place. New old. 
new. It's very confusing. What? <laughs> so watch for it uh, Sunday night on Pioneer PBS, the new episode of Prairie Sportsman. Then look for it on a, on a PBS station near you. We have it uh, on demand at prairiesportsman.org, or uh, you'll be able to see episodes on the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel as well. Speaking of YouTube channels, we've got a brand new one, Fish Hunt Forever. We all got the brand new mugs. You guys got your mugs over there? Check them out. I've Very got a nice. Black one. Ooh, look at that. David's is white. Whose is better? We got different colors. I like the white one. Oh, do you? I do. Cancel, David. <laughs> so you'll be able to get these uh, right now in the Sporting Journal Radio store. Uh, if you go to sportingjournalradio.com and click on store, you'll be able to get them. And now, what's cool about these mugs is when you buy them, we're going to donate a portion to conservation. Right. We're still determining uh, who and all the details on that, but we are going to do give us some ideas. Comment well, below. Send some yes, organizations. I thought you were asking me. No, no, no. We're, who would you like us to donate to? We've, we've gotten I've asked this question a few times. We've gotten, you know, conservation orgs like Pheasants Forever or Delta Waterfowl, Ducks Unlimited, things like that. Um, there's other organizations out there that might be great, too. If you have somebody in mind that you think we should donate to, let us know. And we may do it something where we do mugs with pheasants on them. Like this is the pheasant from the Pheasant Fest billboard. Maybe you've seen these billboards up around the area. You, too, can have a mug with that very pheasant on it uh, right now. Uh, maybe we'll donate to Pheasants Forever if you buy this mug. Maybe we'll put a, a mallard on one and we'll donate to, you know, Delta Waterfowl or Ducks Unlimited. We'll, we'll figure it out. If you have ideas, yeah, comment below and let us know. But Fish Hunt Forever is our new YouTube channel. We're going to have uh, films on there travel vlogs, all kinds of really neat content, all about conservation and preservation of our hunting and fishing traditions. I fish, I hunt, and always will. That means we don't want to see fishing and hunting going going away uh, anytime. We want to see it preserved for future generations, and that's our mission behind Fish Hunt Forever. So subscribe to it on YouTube uh, today. One other effort that we uh, are uh, big proponents of is keep it clean. That's going on in a number of big lakes in Minnesota now, and that's just pick up after yourself, man. Don't leave trash out on the ice. And in fact, Dan, our own Dan Amundsen, ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause for Dan Amundsen for going out. He heard about <laughs> some... Uh, you heard about some trash on on the lake here, and yeah. you went out and picked it up. And I don't really want an applause. That's not why I did it. It's, it's I know just disgusting. Like, come on, you guys, <laughs> fishermen suck. Ice fishermen are starting to suck. And I went out there and look at this trash pile. If you're listening on the radio, watch us on YouTube. Look at this trash pile. There's a half case of bush light, a full backpack, a traffic cone, and a tire in ratchet straps. Why is that on our ice unoccupied? Why? Why is it there? Did somebody forget it? How do you forget that stuff? Hey, why do you forget a half case of beer? That's the most important thing. But why yeah. is that there? Why is that on our lakes? Why is it being left? It's people because people are lazy. So stop being lazy. If you're going to go ice fishing, stop being lazy. Pick up after yourself. It's not hard. The rest of us can do it. Quit being a problem. Quit making it somebody else's problem. If you want our fishing to stick around, pick up at your, after yourself and quit littering in our lakes. It yeah. looks like it just sits on the ice. No, that goes into our lakes. It clogs up our water. In case you didn't know, humans need water to drink. We don't just make that in a lab. So we drink some of that water. So maybe quit putting crap into it. It well, pisses me off. It just, it makes, I don't even know if I can say that on the radio. That just <laughs> makes me mad that, that people have to go out and pick up trash after others. It's laziness. And, and you know, I brought it up on social media the other day between we talked about having trespassing problems this fall now we're having people come out on our lakes and, and litter 
and, and I don't know if it's outsiders or locals. It's probably a mix of both. So I don't yeah. want to single anybody out. But you know what? It's it's no wonder now when people take hunting trips or fishing trips and they go into the local bar, they go into the cafe, that people give them dirty looks because they see a wheelhouse parade or they see an Orange Army parade on the highway on Fridays and then Sunday's going home and then they go out into their backyard and there's trash and crap and people abusing our resources. Knock it off. If you don't want to if you don't want to feel unwelcome in these places, you know, you'd always hear the stories of South North and South Dakota of Minnesotans, blue platers going over and hunting and farmers treating them like crap. You know, I'm sure we've all kind of dealt with that. David, I'm sure you have, Brett. I know you have. You lived in North Dakota of just yeah. kind of having a negative connotation. And I used to kind of look at that and wonder why. Well, now I kind of understand it because when you when people treat our stuff like crap, we don't want you out here if you're gonna do that. And I want people to come out and enjoy our lakes, but if you're going to treat it like crap, stay home. Yeah. And to be fair, there probably are some locals that are doing that 100%. too. But uh, it just gives all hunters and anglers a black eye when something like this happens. And there's definitely like this last weekend when we went out to go fishing out on, you know, one of the lakes here, we got asked if there was a, a fishing tournament going on because there were so many people out on the lake. And obviously those were not locals. There's a lot of people descending upon the area from other parts of uh, the state or out of state or wherever and there was just garbage everywhere it was uh it was a circus and dan i hope you that that pile with the half a case of bush light i sure hope that that was uh either ended up in our fridge or i'd like to think that that was somebody coming back for that pile of stuff but you if you looked around you saw well, random empty cans look at these uh, there's four yeah. full cans why are there four full cans who leaves full beer like you know i kind of get it if a full or an empty beer can flies out of the back of your truck yeah that happens but why leaving four full beers on the ice to be wasted a some people make a joke about being a waste of beer but my gosh that's going nowhere but to your point about that and i've had things fly out of the back of my truck in the past but fortunately now i drive with a topper you know so you you have to plan for that anybody that's had a pickup for any amount of time knows things can fly out of the back of the pickup you cannot allow yourself to be in that situation where things are going to fly out you just have to make plans now to pick up your trash bring trash bags uh bring bring bags for human waste that's that's the big thing yeah and if we keep leaving bags of human waste or just human waste on the ice the epa is going to get involved and there's going to be there's going to be laws regarding this stuff so you just have to you have to plan for it. You have to keep it clean while you're out there. Pick up after yourself. There's no excuse for it. And I, I don't want to keep beating this over our head and be negative because we have more fun things to talk about. Yeah. But uh, don't be lazy. Pick up. Be responsible. Be an adult. Be That's what it comes down to. An be an adult. adult. And keep our, pla- keep our wild places clean. And one of the coolest wild places we've been to recently was Kodiak Island in Alaska. Here's a quick 30-second look at our trip up to Kodiak Island. And then we're going to do a, a, give you a quick fishing report in 30 seconds. Kodiak, a North American waterfowl film, is coming to the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. I've been a sea duck hunter for about 30 seconds, and I've already got one that's probably going to go on the wall, so this is the coolest duck hunt I've ever been on. Presented by Boss Shot Shells, with support from Sitka and Beretta, and additional support from Alclair Outdoors, High Prairie Animal Arts, and the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. Watch Kodiak on the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. And that is coming later this year to the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. Check it out. Well, David, you and I went and did some fishing the other day, and we were targeting crappies. And most of the time when we've done this, we've always gone after them with a small kind of a real subtle presentation. like Small a small, spoons or small 
tungsten jigs, yeah. tipped with a minnow head, and we'd gotten this shipment of live target baits, and I was like, ah, I want to try, I want to <laughs> try some of these, and, and particularly the Sonic Shed. I'd never used that bait before, and I wanted to try it out, and things got a little nutty for us. Things got crazy. It was a busy hour. And it was my, you know, it was an hour, is that hour right before sunset, you know, which is that, you know, kind of that typical golden hour crappie, uh, you know, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It's the best time. Feeding hour. Feeding hour. Yeah. Kind of that crappy time right before sunset. Crappy prime time. time. <laughs> crappy time. Prime time. <laughs> and, uh, I started with that, that sonic shot and it was my first night with live target too. So I'm trying to, trying to figure out this live target, trying to get it all, or live target, live scope, live scope plus trying to get it, get that figured out, getting it all dialed in. And it was like, we had two rods, you know, we had a dead stick and I did have a tungsten on the dead stick. And anytime we'd get a, a school of crappies to come through, it was like, whack, 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 whack. Like, yeah. Things Insanity. started to go crazy. So I started, I pulled my dead stick right out and got rid of that. And I just fished with uh, these live target baits. And I don't remember which one this was. I, the Sonic Shad, the Golden Shiner in a glow white color. And uh, and then I also used, what else did I use? I used one other bait. And then you used the uh, Erratic Shiner. Yep. And and you were going to put, you were going to tip it with a minnow. And I said, David, just try it. Just try it without it, because it's it's a spoon shaped bait with clear wings, clear like the like the spoon is clear with a minnow injected inside of it. Yeah, essentially. So it just looks like kind of a wounded minnow floating around down there. Yeah, that thing was awesome. <laughs> I caught three fish in just a matter of minutes. Here it is. I think right here is one of yep. them on your live scope. And you're like, you looked at it, and you're like, geez, this thing's big. I'm like, just try it. Just see what happens. <laughs> Just try it out. And yeah. it was like nonstop for you. Yeah, it was nuts. They would just smoke it. I was, I had my minnow waiting by the hole to put it on, but I never had to. So, and obviously Live Target is one of our sponsors. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if you're watching this right now, you're seeing the footage. It was, uh, it was crazy, like for an hour. And then it started to slow down once the sun kind of, kind of set, then, uh, we had about a half hour. We'd pick off a fish here and there. Right. And then by six o'clock or so, it was pretty much over. So four to five was the hot spot, hot time. And then um, between five and six, things kind of slowed down a little bit. But it was fun catching them on big, aggressive baits yeah, like that. Yeah, it was fun. And they were big, aggressive fish. Yeah. They, they, were. Were, they would just hammer them with big baits. Yeah. And it's fun when you can get into them like that, where you don't have to sit and finesse them. And they'll just lightly tap it. And that's your bite. These things would just crank it. And I was like, oh, that worked. Let's try a different one. You know, and I like I got a I got a swivel on there, I got a clasp on there. Like I wasn't trying to be stealthy at all, you know, or subtle yeah. at all with that presentation. And uh so fun to trick those clear water crappies like that. Eight feet of water. I think it was about eight, eight and a half feet, something yeah. like that. Um, and between four and six, we smashed on those big baits. We're going to try them up at Lake of the Woods next week for the big Aglow event. We'll be at Riverbend, and uh, we're going to tell you more about how you could be joining us next weekend at Riverbend, too, if you want to learn more about the outdoor media industry. Maybe you're an outdoor content creator, or if you want to learn more about how to be in the outdoor industry, come up and meet us. Uh, meet the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers, plus you get to fish for a couple of days. You can learn more by listening uh, later in the show or go to the Sporting Journal Radio Insiders Group on Facebook. All right, Blake Rice from TSS Shot is going to join us to talk about shooting a absolute giant whitetail when we come back. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. 
the number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. All right, this is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on the network by demand, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. My name is Brett Amundsen. That's Dan Amundsen right over there. And along with David Eckhart, uh, thank you for joining us. Now, Dan, David keeps shooting bigger deer than us. <laughs> well, you suck at deer hunting, and so do I. So I just want meat. But you also shoot way more pheasants than I shoot, so. <laughs> I spend more time <laughs> doing that. Off. That's it. We don't spend a whole lot of time deer hunting. So that's what I spent most of my time doing. Yeah. So it's, it's an even trade off. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, you do it right. You got food plots, you do the work and, uh, you pattern deer and I, I got cameras out and I end up looking for a big deer and then either one of the neighbors shoots it or I just get tired of waiting. And <laughs> I've, I've gone a couple of years without filling my tag, waiting for that big one. And so this year I just didn't wait and just wanted to get some meat in the freezer. Didn't, didn't put my time in the stand like I could have, but I wanted to bring somebody on the show that shot a bigger deer than you, David. So Blake Rice joins us right now from TSS shot. Blake, how you doing, man? Pretty good. How about you guys? Not too bad. Uh, where you're down, where are you at? You're down in Tennessee. I'm in Georgia. I'm in Augusta, Georgia. 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 Nice and warm down here. Yeah, what's the temperature today? About 68. So. Nice outside. I can wander around. I can't go swimming yet, but neither is Dan <laughs> up there. <laughs> we had, uh, I think we were in the mid-30s the other day. That was the warmest it's been in, I don't know, a month? Yeah. Probably something like that. Today is probably mid-20s. We've got more snow in the forecast. Do you guys get any, do you ever see snow down there? About once every three or four years, it'll snow about a quarter of an inch, and they shut schools down, <laughs> roads, schools, everybody buys all the milk. That's why probably there's an egg shortage. It was going to get below 50. Everybody felt like they needed <laughs> eggs, so they ran into the stores down here to get eggs before it ran out. Yeah, we do make fun of people in the South when there's a dusting and you know, oh, the yeah. state declares an emergency. Back. Yeah, they, uh, they're, they're known to close schools if they think it's going to snow. <laughs> Well, I want to talk uh, about a, a number of things, but let's just get at it right off the bat. Um, you shot a deer in November this year, and I remember seeing the picture and just like I couldn't really believe what I was looking at. Uh, you shot a pretty nice buck in November. Uh, was what? Now it's, it's been two months now, right? So you got an official score on that deer. What's the official score on that deer? Two oh six and an eighth. Two oh six. Look at that thing. Wow. Dang. How close to a record? Wow. That, that's an Illinois deer. It's Illinois deer, yeah. Uh, it netted out at 191, so the, the gross was 206. But it, uh, so it'll be top. I need to look. I think it's gonna be top 20 Illinois all time. So Man. we should should be good there. And uh, I didn't know the deer was there. Thought the deer was up the street. To be honest, I'd been hunting a farm for about 21 days and had my eyes set on a big nine pointer that was mid 160 and. Got in one afternoon. It was hot as November 8th. Usually I always say November 8th your day. You know, get out there. It just happens to be the day everybody's killing big deer. It was in the mid-60s up there, which is unseasonably warm. And the wind was right. So it was going to be right for like two or three days. So I said, I'm going to move the other side of this farm, big ag field. So I went over and it was a tight spot right on the property line. So got in there, had to take a chainsaw. And a buddy of mine comes, brings a chainsaw. We get in the in the woods at like 3.30, it's late because it's hot. And 
make all kind of noise. We're cutting tree limbs and all, so I can shoot back in our field. And he brought a deer decoy for me because <clears throat> the deer had been coming out up in that corner, but they were kind of sporadic. And I said, man, let's try this, see what happens, see what uh, what it'll do. You know, I love turkey hunting. And I was like, hell, I'll try a deer decoy and see what happens. And get it out. He leaves at like 345, or maybe 10 minutes to four. About 10 minutes after four, the big nine-pointer comes out on the other side of the field. I snort wheeze at him and he sees that decoy and he's making a beeline straight to me. And so I'm thinking here, this is it. I'm going to finish it off here pretty quick. And he's hundred yards, 120 yards from me. I ranged him one more time. Uh, had some spots ranged out in the little field. So I knew where he was at when he got close enough to shoot and I'm bow hunting, obviously. All of a sudden he stops and he looks over towards the road and the neighbor had pulled in the field gets out with his binoculars to look at him that oh, no. just takes off and runs and i'm so frustrated i'm like this is it i've been in here all all month this was my shot at it you know because you always feel like you got one good shot at it and uh i call the farmer and i'm like man just come get me and uh he said i'm on the other side of town I'm gonna have to, it's gonna be a little bit i said well okay just leave me whatever i'll hang out so right as the sun's setting, I look up to my right, the way I'm in a tree saddle, I'm a tethered tree saddle on the side of the tree, and uh, probably 13, 14 feet up in the air, I'm not very high, and I look up to the right in the neighbor's kind of cut corner of his field, and huge eight-pointer that I had seen one other time, and uh, I grunt, it's about 250 yards, so I grunt, grunt again, he looks, snort wheeze, and he turns and goes back in the woods where he came from. So I thought to myself, like, I didn't like that for some reason. Then five or six minutes later, he had circled around and comes down below me and gets about 100 yards, 75, 100 yards behind me where I can't turn around and start snort wheezing at the decoy. And uh, I'm trying to reposition in that saddle. I don't know if you've ever hunted out of one, but you swing kind of everywhere. So I'm trying to inch around the tree so that I'm looking. He's completely down on our property. Now my back's to the neighbors. And... Uh, I don't know what it was, but right before I swung around to where I could see down there towards him better, something told me to look back up where he came from. And I look back up there, and all I see is rack. And, uh, <laughs> I, I had not, and like I said, I'd hunted the farm 21 days, so I felt like I knew every deer that was there. And I was like, with the naked eye, I was like, I don't know what deer this is, but this deer's big. And uh, I threw up my binoculars, and he's looking straight towards me. And it's just tall and wide. And I'm like, oh, God, you know. I realized instantly that whatever deer this was, it was way bigger than the 160-inch deer that I'm over here playing with at 75 yards behind me. And uh, so typical, I've got 10 minutes of shooting light left, maybe 12. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just grunt and see what happens. So I grunt. He kind of looks and walks two or three steps, and I snort wheeze. And when I do, I uh, put my grunt call down and grab my binoculars. When I put my binoculars up, he's gone. And I'm like, damn, he walked in the woods. My thought is he's doing the exact same thing the other deer did. But there's a few does in the field between us. And all of a sudden, I see the does kind of running. And so I look, and he is beelining straight to me. He runs <laughs> right to the base of the tree. And when he runs to the base of the tree, it's all happening so fast. You know, you don't really know what's going on. And I'm now looking down between my legs in that tree saddle, and the deer is literally underneath me. And uh, I see his right side. I didn't know what deer it was, obviously. I see his right side, and his G4 looks like it's about six inches long. So I'm like, okay, it's a good deer. And uh, I can see some trash on the left side. But he's under me, 
I'm 12, 13 feet off the ground. I don't want to move, but I'm trying to look. I'm freaking out a little bit. And uh, <laughs> his, his front half is on our property, and his back leg is on the neighbor's property at this point in time. Oh, boy. Because I never thought they were going to come from this way. And uh, so I'm looking. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And he steps back onto the neighbor's property. And when he does, he looks, and he looks straight across the fence to where that decoy is on our property. He jumps the fence. When he jumps the fence, he literally is up against the base of the tree on the back of my tree, and he lands in those limbs that we had cut. And I piled him against the base of the tree thinking, hey, they'll be out of the way. Nothing's going to come over here. <laughs> and uh, he gets tangled up in them. And I think he just freaked him out because after the whole thing, we look, and it's like a main trail coming where we piled the limbs. But he, uh, he starts freaking out. He's throwing his head around. Well, at this time, the tree's in front of me and there's a limb. So I'm looking over the limb at this deer and he's doing, you know, he's 12 foot away. And I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I kind of spin to the left and I draw right when he comes out of those limbs, he shakes his head. And uh, when he comes out, I draw and he's facing dead away from me. The decoy is at like 18 yards. Right when he comes out of them limbs, he turns broadside to that decoy and puffs up and I shoot him and he's at seven yards. <laughs> So he whirls, and, you know, you think you make a great shot. Like, you know, when the arrow shot, I felt like perfect shot, everything's great. He whirls, he runs around the decoy, and he's leaning as he's running, which to me, you know, I've shot a bunch of deer with a bow. I'm like, he's going down. It was a great shot. Well, there was a tree line about 150 yards, and I could hear deer all afternoon. I couldn't see it the way it was, but I could hear deer walking through those leaves. So I never heard him hit those leaves but then everything starts going through your head. I'm like, what deer was it? Did I make a good shot? And so I'm sitting up the tree, you know, obviously shaking to death, can't control myself. And um, call a couple people, tell them how excited I am. They said, what deer is this? I said, I have no idea. I think it's a good deer. I think it's a great deer, it's a huge deer. And then I get, I sit in the tree for 45 minutes after dark because I, I start questioning where I shot this deer. And I'm like, I don't want to mess this up. So I get down, I walk the opposite way, probably three quarters of a mile to the road up property line get the farmer to pick me up so we're going back to the house and he starts which is a 25 minute ride he starts asking he's like what deer was it i was like man i think it was a huge deer and then he retells the story because the closer to the house we got he's like well what deer do you know i was like man it it might have been a two-year-old i don't know i don't know it happened too fast i don't really know what happened <laughs> and he went i went from telling him i thought i made a perfect double lung shot to man i made a gut shot this deer i really don't know at this point in time you know i'm freaking out and uh well can i ask you at seven yards because i've shot deer at seven yards with my bow before too <clears throat> and i remember that i shot a i shot a mule deer out of a tree stand once at seven yards and i remember looking through the peep sight on it and it was like just brown like it was hard to tell. It was almost hard to tell where on the deer I was aiming. So it, you know, did you, could you being that close and, and being that close to your arrow? I mean, it's, it, that's kind of a tough shot shooting down at seven yards like that. Yeah. I felt like, so I knew, I remember, you know, you try to go back to your head. I remember when I drew and I got on my peep sight, everything browned out, like you're saying. And I remember pulling to my left because it was a cut soybean field and seeing all my pins, and then I just pulled back and shot. Hmm. And because when I pulled up on him the first time, it, it was just a blur. And I don't know if it was the tree limbs and all that was just going on. But when I pulled back, I shot. And, and I don't even remember, you know, just kind of putting it in there and shooting. And I remember trying to use the top of my 20-yard pin. But everything was just 
right there in that spot, and he was basically underneath me and down. So I shot a little high because I was trying to shoot my exit hole. Yeah. I shot a little high on the entrance, but it double lunged and came out, and uh, he right. didn't go far. Went, went about 120 yards, maybe. Well, before we talk about the recovery, I want we got to take a quick break, but uh, then okay. I want to talk about how how it felt when you saw him for the first time when you walked up on him and how you know what the reaction was. I will take a quick break. More with Blake Rice when we come back. Come ice fish the famous waters of Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, the walleye capital of the world. Experience full-service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper house options. From the northwest angle to the south shore, Rainy River, and Baudette, the Midwest's number one ice fishing destination. Walleye, Sauger, Perch, and Northern Pike, Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, best fishing anywhere. For more information, log on to lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Okay, we're back. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen along with Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart. And our guest is Blake Rice from TSS Shot. And he's just shot, well, this is two months ago, but he's telling us a story about just shooting this giant, giant buck. And you weren't, I mean, you thought you made a good shot on it. You weren't quite sure. You waited You waited a couple hours before going after it, right? Yeah, it was about four and a half. We went back and uh, everybody ate dinner except for me. I was pacing the floor. Uh, <laughs> When, uh, when we got back to eat, I guess the uh, other farmer starts to get me to explain the deer to him. And that's when I really got nervous. And uh, he was like, you sure you hadn't seen the deer? And I was like, no, nah, i never seen this deer in here. And, you know, they didn't have any trail cam pics of him on that farm. And uh, I explained it again, and I tell him, and he pulls out his phone, and he turns his phone around. And he goes, is that? And before he turns the phone all the way around, I'm like, that's the deer. And he goes, that's a 200-inch deer. And I'm, then I really get nervous. And I said, how do you know? And he said, they had the sheds from two years ago and they had him scored at 197. Wow. And so then that's when I didn't decide it was better not to eat because I was completely sick at my stomach <laughs> and um, not knowing, you know, they're like, I'm sure you made a good shot. And, and at this point I'm like, I think I gut shot him guys. I don't, I don't really know. I think the shot was back. It was low. It was terrible. So uh, we gave it about four hours before we went in there to look for him. And uh, they pushed me at four hours. I probably would have waited overnight. Uh, I was so nervous at that point in time. So four hours go by, you and the farmer go out there and he actually, let's, let's start from finding the arrow. You found the arrow and found good blood on the arrow, right? That's right. So we get back in there. We walk, I make him park and we walk the whole way back in. He wants to, you know how farmers are. They're not deer hunters <laughs> or any kind of hunter. He wants to drive, drive. his wild diesel flatbed right up to the deer decoy. And I'm like, no, Jack, we're going to walk a good mile back in here. So I've got this little bitty flashlight and he's got a daggum spotlight. He bought at Walmart <laughs> somewhere. And uh, I'm over here looking around. I find the arrow and it was good lung bleed, just red bubbly blood. You know, I knew it smelted. I was like, all right, it's a good shot. And it was probably 10 yards, kind of the way he swirled around the decoy. So I think it kind of went through and just fell out the way it was coming. Um, so I felt good then. I was like, man, I made a great shot. I'm not worried. So I start looking for blood in the direction he ran. Well, the farmer's just wandering around like basically Delta's trying to land airplanes in this field <laughs> because this guy even in spotlight. Well, we bump deer that are bedded. He's like, oh, those aren't yours. And I'm like, how do you know those aren't my deer running up the hill? You can't see them. And uh, I'm looking at the ground, looking for blood, looking for blood. It's probably 20 minutes worth. I can't find any blood going the way it was. And I'm kind of... It's cut beans, so it's kind of hard to see. And well, he's just wandering around down here below me and doing stuff. And 
I've determined like at this point in time, I know I shot the deer good. Like, let's just back out. Let's back out. Let's get a dog in the morning. It's it's cooled off at this point in the mid 40s, so I'm not that concerned. And uh, he comes walking up to me, and I, I go to tell him, I said, Robert, let's just back out and get a dog in the morning. Like, I know we made a good shot. Like, I don't want to freak the, mess this up. We know it's a big deer. And he goes, uh, let's walk up here on this ridge, and I'm just going to shine my light everywhere and see if we find him. He's like, he's shining all the way across this field. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Like, no, <laughs> don't do that. And he goes, yeah, and he starts walking. And I'm just, you know, I'm like, God, no. So I'm, I catch up with him, and I'm like, Robert, I think he's like, no, let's get on this little hump right here. So I'm looking at the ground again. He's shining the light like, kind of in my ear past my head. And I'm looking down. You know, I'm a nervous wreck at this point in time. But I'm, I remember thinking, like, why is he shining the light at my face? And uh, I look up, and he's shining it right by my face on the deer. He had seen the deer from down below us or below me. Look it up. And when I saw it, so I had that little flashlight and a bigger flashlight in my cell phone. And uh, it was probably 20 yards from where I was when I see this deer. And it's just unreal the, the way the deer's laying. It's just huge. And I'm looking at the back of it and walking up from behind it. And the feeling of seeing this deer, like right there, is just unbelievable. So between that 20 yards, I dropped loose both flashlights, my cell phone and my hat. And uh, <laughs> I'm down here like molesting this deer in tears. <laughs> And Robert, who's a, I'm a big guy, but he's he's a little bit bigger than me. He comes running up. He's so excited. He hugs me, and we kind of roll probably two or three times right past the deer. And I remember thinking, like, I hope nobody's watching this because they're going to be like, I don't know what's going on over there, guys, but just leave those alone in the woods, you know. And uh, it was unreal. So we had called uh, called the other guys at camp, so they ran up there with us and. And uh, and uh, saw it and got us filmed, picking it up and loading it up and all that. So uh, between shooting it and then then getting there that night and getting it uh, gutted and getting it hung in the freezer so we could get better pictures the next morning, it was uh, probably sixty people came up. The uh, neatest thing to me, being in the South, you know, we don't have uh, Amish or Mennonite people down here much. Some uh, two Amish guys came over on their little buggy. They said they. Uh, there's an Amish village not far, and they had heard we shot the big deer. Mm, so they sure. came over to see it, and uh, I thought that was pretty neat that they came over to, to check it out. They knew about it? Were they hunting yeah, they it, too? Knew. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, one of the guys came down that day. He lived an hour and a half away. He had sheds from two years ago, uh, both sets, and the farm he hunted was his parents' place, but it was a mile and a half directly from where I shot that deer to where uh, he had found the sheds. And another guy had one shed from last year. I believe it was his left side. Uh, and he was almost a mile in the opposite direction. So that deer had been uh, been doing some moving for sure. Hmm. Wow. And that the sheds from the year before were actually a hair bigger, right? They were. I think he was a... Uh, he didn't have quite the mass, but his time length was uh, a little bit better. And he didn't have quite all that. He didn't have uh, all the trash on his G2 on his left side. He would have scored out a little bit better. Not much, two or three inches, but he still would have scored a little bit better. And you figured that was an eight and a half year old deer. Eight and a half year old deers with the, the uh, little Amish guy at the meat processors. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. And he said it was eight and a half. So it was cool. It was. Uh, 
the deer dwarf, another guy in camp had shot a nice 10 pointer, probably a mid one forties, 10 pointer and body size, the deer just dwarfed it. It was amazing how, how big he was. And, you know, we all dream of killing big deer, but I never dreamed of killing that kind of deer. You know, yeah, yeah. My, my dream of killing big deer is shooting a bunch of 160, 170 deer, maybe, maybe breaching the 180 mark, but you never think you're just going to jump up in a tree one afternoon and, uh, that's the Oklahoma deer I shot this year it was a high one fifties. Hmm. So I mean, that, uh, and that's yeah. a big deer. Like I, yeah. I can't even imagine like something approaching 200 inches or over 200 inches. Right. You know, that's insane. Yeah. So it, uh, it still hadn't sunk in. And then every time I got the horns here with me, but every time I, uh, grab them and touch them, you know, you're just like, what, a, what are you thinking? You know, like this, this measurement here, you can't even get your arms to, start to come around it so it just it's unreal so once you saw that buck i mean there were some other nice deer around you but once you had your eyes on that one was it that buck or nothing at that point absolutely yeah when i when i saw him and when he ran in on me and i wasn't sure if i was going to be able to make that shot i I thought man i I literally thought in my mind i was like I was like, what have I got to do the rest of the month? You know, I'm a, we, uh, we, so I was in Southern Illinois, I live in Georgia, but we load our shotgun shells up, um, coming to Clarksville, Tennessee, North of Nashville. It's about two hours from where we're hunting. And my thoughts were, I could probably run down there one or two days and justify working, but I could stay up here the rest of the month and figure this deer out. And, uh, cause I, I wasn't leaving. I'd, I'd seen a lot of really good deer. We'd filmed a lot of really good deer early, uh, mid and early October and the farmer just kept telling me, he's like, man, just wait it out till the rut, wait it out till the rut. There's some monsters in here. And, uh, he wasn't lying. <laughs> now that's a, that's a farmer. He has a outfitting business. So he, he's yeah, he got- runs a little outfitting business. They've got, um, uh, 18,000, 20,000 acres right in there. They mm-hmm. farm mid 30,000. So he's got around 37,000, but that's, that's farmer acres. That's not hunting acres. You go over there and look and there's a, he sent me over to what he said was his biggest biggest farm, and I think it was around 9,800 acres, and I think there were about two acres of trees stretched out over 9,800 <laughs> acres. And uh, so, so, uh, so he had two was, acres of two acres of trees on that big that big uh, property, but no stands there. Or do you just prefer to be in a saddle? Uh, no, there were some stands. We had hung a bunch of stands. Uh, Levi Wilson, a buddy of mine, was up there um, running some stuff and doing some stuff for him, helping him. Him and Derek Cade. And so they had hung a bunch of stands, but where I wanted to be, I had bounced around on some, some lock-ons we had in there on those tree lines. The deer wanted to come out of that north corner, or I guess it was a southwest corner, but they wanted to come out of that corner because the, the big block of woods was on the neighbor. And he had a huge block. I say a huge block. It was a 25-ish acre block of wood, just solid woods. He had our stuff, and then the neighbor to the west was in a prairie grass program. And he's about three or four years into that. So he had 300 plus acres of chest high prairie grass. Mm. And um, those deer were just using that corner to funnel from those woods, that big block of woods, up that strip of woods in and out of that prairie grass to bed and feed. And uh, the wind was never right. It's cause it was, it had to be coming out of the South which is a weird wind up there. And uh, I needed the southeast wind to make that hunt work. And we finally got it. All, all the winds are usually out of the north there, out of the west. And so 
we finally got it and I jumped in that saddle and this is the first year I've really hunted out of this saddle and it was a game changer, man. You can get in the, you, you can get in about any tree, limbs, whatever, uh, climb up in there. You feel safe, feel secure. Uh, I definitely will use one going forward and recommend it yeah. to anybody. They, Did- uh, David right. uses a, he uses a saddle. Yeah, this is the second you. year I've had my saddle. All right. Well, before I w- we got to take a break again, uh, I want to talk more about using the saddle, and uh, we'll have more with Blake Rice coming up. We got to get a fishing report from Joe Henry though here on the on the radio network, and then we'll go straight to the podcast. More with Blake on the way. It's ice fishing season and time to plan your trip to Riverbend Resort on Lake of the Woods. Stay at the Lakeside Resort along the Rainy River in one of their new cabins and enjoy delicious meals and hot or cold beverages in the Miles Lab Barn Grill. Or stay in one of their comfortable sleeper houses on the ice complete with a TV, stove, and lots of walleyes right beneath your feet. You also have the option of staying at their motel, the Walleye Inn, located in Bidet. Book your ice fishing trip to famous Lake of the Woods today at riverbendresort.com. That's riverbendresort.com. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEC's winner, the Ultimate Frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed Ultra Point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the Ultimate Frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And iCast and FTEC's winner, the Live Shrimp, mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from live target all right so blake you've been using a saddle uh for about a year now that's right i got it uh the end of last year or i say last year season before last started using it this season a good bit um you know when i could uh i tell you one of the things with the saddle that i realized and i realized it uh pretty quick and um you can move in a saddle with deer nearly underneath you 12 or 13 feet off the ground, these deer aren't seeing you or aren't catching your movement. Like if you're in a lock-on, you know, and you twist your arm, everything's staring straight up at you. Uh, and we didn't, I didn't have this problem. And Levi Wilson was with me on these, uh, up there a lot. He hunts out of one as well. And he's who uh, introduced me to Tethered and all of those guys. So I went to pick him up one day and I drive in the field and I look across the, the tree line and, you know, it's just a thin tree line running down. And I thought, where is he at? I didn't, I couldn't spot him in the tree. And I thought, well, maybe he's already climbed down. So I'm driving straight across the field to where I think his tree's at. And um, I get 75 yards from him. And all of a sudden he moves in the tree and starts coming down. And I realize what it is. I think, and then, you know, there's no science to this because I'm just a fat redneck. But I believe these deer are seeing you in a lock-on because everything is, is parallel, perpendicular to the tree. In 90-degree angles, there's, it's a square block sitting off this tree. So when the deer look or anything looks, it's so intrusive and just stands off the tree. With your feet in a saddle against the base of the tree, you create this 30-degree, 25-degree angle up just like every other limb on the tree. So there, there's, there's no odd angle that you see. And I believe that's what's allowing you to get away with all of this movement with these deer because everything looks the same as every other limb. There's no odd angle. There's no squares. There's no anything else. Your feet are at the base. You're leaning out. And if you look, every other limb is at these same angles that you are. Uh, your bow or whatever is tucked tight to the tree. The only thing sticking off the tree is you, which you would think would be 
worse because we've always been taller. I have sit against the tree, sit tight, try not to move so that your your silhouette blends in with the tree, the trunk of the tree. But I believe that angle with these saddles is just allowing you to get away with movement and and turns and other things that I've never been able to get away with in a tree stand. Hmm. I I haven't done saddles yet, but I, I definitely want to try it. I know a couple of buddies. I know David, you do it, and a couple other buddies that have been using them. And uh, man, that's all they like to use these days. It's, you can be so mobile. You can pick any tree, I like and then I like the other thing I like to add to what you were saying is. Um, you can keep the tree between you and the deer for the most part. So you can get away with more movement and they're not, you know, you're not hanging off the front of the tree and your whole body's exposed. You can kind of stay hid behind that tree. Hmm. Um, Blake, was that deer on any trail cameras? Is that, I suppose that was the picture that he showed you as a trail camera picture. Yeah. Yeah. He had it one time. So the farmer that showed it to me lived, I would say, three quarters of a mile up the road. He had it on camera one time there, but the neighbor with the big block of woods, who was also an outfitter, uh, he had him on camera a bunch and I actually, uh, he reached out and I reached out to him back and forth. And, you know, I'm sure there was some bad blood between everybody since I shot his big deer, but I really didn't, uh, didn't mean to come in there and shoot his deer. I was trying to shoot a nine pointer. And, uh, but he was nice enough. He had a bunch of trail cam picks over the last year, he was getting the deer pretty regularly, uh, kind of coming and cutting through his block of woods. Um, so he had it on camera a lot, and uh, he was nice enough to send me a bunch of pictures and other stuff and kind of tell me some stories about the deer. And He had watched him for two or three years. So oh, wow. It was, I it bet that nice. Yeah, I mean, bittersweet, you hate it. You really yeah. do. But on the same token, I, I do feel like I didn't just show up the uh, – pay for a hunt, you know, and was in a tree for 30 minutes and shot him. I'd at least been up there for a month hunting the deer or hunting a deer. Yeah. And what are you supposed to do? I mean, deer, li- deer of a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to pass that shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sorry, that one's too big. I don't want to upset the neighbor. That's, that's always the tough one, you know, uh, and there's just nothing you can do about it. People complain about the neighbor. Yeah. I, I had a pretty ne- decent deer for where I live a couple of years ago and, and, uh, I think it was the opening day of the gun season neighbor shot it first day of the gun season. And I'd been hunting him for like three, four weeks. And then my second target buck got shot by the other neighbor. The next day I went through four deer that I had on camera and they all got shot by gun hunters around me. What were you hunting? Like a a right away between two people's property. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that that brings up I, there was a post on instagram today on uh, wired to hunt and it was about trail cameras and i love i love cell cameras because it, it's a it allows me to put a cell camera with a solar panel which by the way i've got some of those uh, flex cameras from spy point and they they're introducing a new one this year with a solar camera i'm just jacked about it because i took one and then i i rigged up a solar camera to it and i was able to put it on a piece of the property that i hunt that I don't normally walk into and it's, it's hard to get at and I use it as the sanctuary, right? So I don't have to go in there and I can kind of try to keep deer around the area without bumping them a little bit. But there's some states trying to ban trail cameras. Uh, some people don't like the, the cell camera aspect and now you got these live streaming cameras. So uh, Wired to Hunt today had this big uh, thing like, gosh, I don't know, where do we draw the line? Is is it at some point, is it too much? What do you guys think about live streaming, streaming cameras? And I get that argument about 
when is it, you know, when is it not fair chase anymore? If a guy just sits there and watch a deer live, you know, live streams a deer on his phone and then knows exactly where it is, walks out, and, you know, leaves his living room and then goes out and shoots it. I don't necessarily like that, but is that the, is that the, is that the camera's fault at that point? Is it the hunter being lazy? Is it, is it, does it require a mandate? Where do you sit on the trail camera debate? Because I can see the argument against the live stream, but cell cameras, it's, it's kind of a subtle difference between the two because you're getting pictures and videos sent to you as, you know, almost real time with some cell cameras. But, I you know, you could argue that cameras also make you pickier and a lot, you know, sometimes lets deer grow a bit bigger because you're passing on deer at that point. Where, where do you sit in the trail cam discussion? I think they're great. I, I've run uh, a bunch of different mobile trail cams and i love them i i think i think it's made the deer herd as a whole a better deer herd because people can become picky because used to you know in the early to mid 90s you had you had no idea you'd go out and especially from the south i don't know how it was up there with y'all but these guys are just shooting the first horned deer they see right they have no idea what's there and then every once in a while they bring their uncle to deer camp and he kills a 145 inch deer <laughs> 150 inch deer and they're like man we didn't even know that deer was there my uncle doesn't do that all these year old deer and <laughs> I, I think people don't know and i've hunted a bunch of different outfitters and and stuff across the years that i've just become friends with and uh hunted one in kansas and he would he had thirty-two thousand acres he would not run trail cams and he would tell you shoot what makes you happy and uh yeah. we'd go out for a week week and a half i'd spend two weeks out there with him sometimes and uh Shot nice deer, 150-inch deer, 160-inch deer. Great deer. One year's brother goes in there behind us a week later, shoots a deer that's like a 219 non-typical. Whoa. And I told him, I said, I, I would have hunted five weeks and never pulled the trigger on a 160. Right. Had I known this deer was in here. And he said, but that deer made you happy that you shot. I said, absolutely. It made me happy. But had I not shot that deer or the other deer, that 160 becomes a 175 or a 180 even. And now you've got two monster trophies in here because I was looking for a better deer. So I think trail cameras overall have increased hunter awareness of what's going on. Uh, I do think they've caused people to become lazy. Uh, but it's also probably helped some people that don't have the time that we have. I mean, we're all in the outdoor industry, so... You know, looking in from the outside world, it looks like we do nothing but hunt 24-7, in which we don't. We sleep a little bit in there and then go a eat. A little bit. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, the guy that that's that can only go because his wife, girlfriend, work, whatever, allows him to go twice a year, it increases his odds, and it maybe makes him a better deer hunter instead of just saying, hey, typically the rut is the – 10th to the 15th that's the one week i'm gonna go now he's looking at these cell cameras from 200 miles away saying well the deer are starting to move or the deer aren't going to move or i've yeah. got a target buck in there that i want to shoot so i think it's very helpful i do think it can become lazy and you're right you're running a trail camera a rifle hunter running a trail camera in kansas 200 yards off his back porch on a pile of corn He's sitting in his living room. He walks on the back porch and shoots the deer. I'm sure that happens. Uh, I don't really consider that a hunter. However, pre-trail 
camera. There was guys out here and they're still doing it. They're spotlighting at night and shooting deer or this yeah. or that. There's always, there's always going to be a guy who takes advantage of the system. And, um, I think the live stream is cool because I think people, I think it helps the industry as a whole, the cell cam and the live stream and trail cameras as a whole, because it gets this guy that maybe had never shot a good deer. He's seeing these deer on his property, whether they're good deer to me or you, they're good deer to him. And that excites him. Now he's going out and he's buying more camouflage. He's spending more money. He's buying a nicer bow. He's going to the bow shop, spending money because that deer is getting him enthused and getting into that. And it becomes more about the hunt than just going out and doing this and that. I mean, as a, as a kid, we would go to deer camp and we loved deer camp. Our parents were there, you know, dads and doing our thing, but we went to deer camp and my dad went because they wanted to hang out and, drink and have a great time they didn't even go hunting because they didn't even know what was in the woods to go hunting or i think now it's changed a lot of a lot of that and people go and target a buck and these guys are naming deer and doing all that and i try not to get into that that craziness with folks i see a good one i just want to go kill it and you don't <laughs> need to name it. but um but but that's yeah, I, I, but i think I what think you're alluding to is that 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 challenge of putting together the puzzle pieces, right? You start to get a pattern on the deer. You figure out what bucks are out there. That one could use another year or two. That's a shooter. Uh, we got six does out here, whatever. They're coming through at 445. They're coming from the south, whatever. It, it, to me, it becomes, it becomes you're, you're, you're hunting maybe a specific deer at that point, but you're utilizing your cameras as a, as a tool as part of that hunt. And yes, it's, it's going to make you a better hunter, potentially make you more successful, but it adds another aspect and it becomes another tool, whether you're doing food plots or you're, you're putting uh, stands based on wind directions, things like that. It gives you another tool in that arsenal. And that year that I had four, when I went down the list with four different bucks, I didn't fill my tag that year. Like I did, I I didn't even shoot a deer because I knew what deer I had out there that were coming through and I was trying to pattern them. And when they all got shot by neighbors and then by then it was so late in the season that, uh, it got really tough and and cold and I ended up not filling a tag that year. So for the, for the people that say that cameras, you know, are going to kill more deer. That's not always the case. Yeah. I don't don't think, I think cameras kill less deer, to be honest with you. I think you, I think you're right. And, and I've done exactly what you've done. I've, I've targeted, uh, I hunted some property here in Georgia for a while. and They're not big deer, mid-120s, maybe a low 130. But I would find those deer and target that one or two deer. And if I couldn't kill them, I didn't shoot the other deer. There was a big enough property, I knew they weren't getting killed by the neighbor. So I, I think that, I think it kills less deer. I remember, like I said, I remember as a child, he pulled back up to deer camp and there's 25 deer in camp and the biggest deer is 86 inches. And it's a two-year-old. Everything else is a year-and-a-half-old deer because these guys had no idea. They saw horns, and they didn't know what was out there or what could be, so they just shoot the first deer they see. Uh, I think it lets deer grow. I mean, you sit in the woods. Y'all don't have as much gun season as we do in the south, but used to you sit in the woods at opening day of gun season. It sounded like a dove shoot or a pheasant shoot. It's just wide open, and now you sit in the woods opening day and you hear one two maybe three gunshots in the distance and people are managing their herd and managing what they're doing and setting expectations of of what they want to do and i I think that camera helps drastically 
Yeah. I, I could sit and keep talking deer with you guys. And unless you guys have a question, Dan or David, but something's been distracting me this entire, this entire conversation, uh, Blake. And is, is that a band of canvas back behind you back there? Is that what I'm saying? Oh, yes, it is. Hold on. I'll <laughs> get that for you. Where are we at here? Let me spin around. Where are we at? Where's the camera on this thing? Here we go. <laughs> there we go. Can't have too many beers watching this. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, uh, I actually shot that on Gunnersville, Lake Gunnersville in Alabama. Oh, really? Uh, wow. About six years ago, yeah. So it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty nice. I I went out and it's it's one of those deals. <laughs> had a buddy with me, Bobby Springer, a, a good friend of mine, one of my fraternity brothers from college. We're sitting on a little island, and there's a lot of canvas backs down there, ringnecks and bluebills, and uh, it was when you could shoot two canvas backs and. Uh, we had been shooting them and we had shot all four, but we shot three that were right in the decoys. And this one peeled off. And I, I remember turning, I was on the right side. I turned and shot him behind us and he falls behind the island. So Bobby goes out and starts picking up the ducks and he picks up those three. And I think we had a ring neck or two, whatever. And uh, we didn't have a dog with us. And I said, don't forget the one behind us. And he circles around the back of the island and comes back and he gets off the island, comes up the blind and he throws the duck to me. And I grab it. I don't really think anything of it. I didn't. And he goes, uh, I'd love to lie and say I shot that. Or that maybe <laughs> I shot that. We flip a quarter. He said, the only duck that is way over there, a half a mile by itself, is this band's canvas back that you shot. And I was like, wow. You know luck's on your side when you do that. What's the story on the, on the band? How far it had traveled? How old was it? Oh, that's the worst part. So, <laughs> you know... <laughs> You shoot park geese. I shot basically a park canvas back. It was uh, we were on Gunnersville, and uh, Lake Wheeler is the next. Uh, it's a Tennessee River lake chain. Lake Wheeler is the next uh, lake below it on the chain. It was banded the year before at Wheeler on the refuge. Oh, sure. So sure. It, had, it was like forty-five miles. So obviously, it had migrated, but it uh, it wasn't the coolest. So I did shoot a banded barrows in uh, Alaska that was cool. Mm. Oh yeah, what was the story on that one? Uh, it was banded pretty close to, it was like 200 something miles. It wasn't far, but it was three years old. It was, so it was a little bit older, uh, older bird. I love that information, man. And at least, you know, with that canvas back, it did, it was a year later, you know, we, we shoot geese. They've done a lot of banding where we hunt Canada geese a lot. So occasionally you end up shooting one early season. That's pretty shiny. And it was like, oh yeah, this was banded a week uh, ago. A week, yeah. Yeah. A week ago. A half away. mile there. <laughs> oh, we just shot 14 of them out of one flock. Whoops. But Dan, do you feel like they came for you because they thought you had bread again? And was- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my my summer hobbies pay off. They saw the That's they saw right. the bag of Wonder Bread. Yeah. And you use Wonder right. Bread for fishing. I use Wonder Bread for goose hunting. <laughs> that that redhead behind Dan's shoulder there, over his shoulder on the wall, uh, that got shot a couple of years ago in Western Minnesota, and I was on a duck hunt with some buddies, and I was on one end, and same kind of deal happened. You know, we we dumped a bunch of ducks, and it was one of those where there were six of us shooting into a flock, and a bunch of ducks dropped, and as we were picking them up, and I don't know, I always kind of felt like it landed, you know, kind of on my side, and it felt like it maybe had been one that I shot, but nobody really knew. So we did a drawing for it, and I ended up winning the draw, and I got that, so I got that redhead with the band and shot in Western Minnesota and it was banded in Oregon, I think three years earlier. 
I think wow. it was, I think it was three years earlier. So I, I sent in all the banding information, you know, the numbers and everything. And the researcher biologist emailed me back and she's like, are you sure those are the numbers? It's like, yeah, that's the numbers. Can you, can you send me them again? I'm like, I sent you pictures and video in the first email. Like, <laughs> like I don't know, right. I don't know what you want me to do, but she emailed me like three times. Like, are you sure? Cause normally migrations are North and South. I'm like, I, Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> but that was one of the cooler ones. Uh, obviously coming back down a different flyway so it was pretty neat that's awesome i uh i also two three turkey seasons ago uh i shot a banded turkey that they had what? banded really yeah, so i never even knew about a banded turkey and uh we were we were hunting a piece of property that i've got here in georgia and it borders the savannah river and across the savannah river is the uh savannah river side it's the nuclear plant or whatnot and uh it's 300 plus thousand acres, I believe. And uh, wow. apparently University of Georgia banded a bunch of turkeys over there doing research. We ended up killing two of them on my farm. And so talking to the biologist at Georgia about it, and I remember him saying, uh, when we called him on the first one, he was so excited, you know, he, how they were three-year-old birds and had all the information. He was like, man, this is the this is the first one we've had reported. We did 10 of them, body, body, body. They did some hens and some uh, jakes at the time. and uh, then three weeks later, I call him back and I'm like, Hey, I got another one. And, uh, he goes, you're really killing my research program. <laughs> All the band stuff there. We were trying to see where else they went. I was like, well, obviously they were here. And, uh, we had pictures from deer season. We looked back cause the turkeys are all in the little food plots and, uh, in Georgia, you can bait during deer season. So turkeys all under feeders. And I started looking back at some of the cameras and, uh, there were three, that had bands on them, oh, but wow. I never thought in my wildest dreams to zoom in on a trail camera of a turkey picture right. to look at its feet <laughs> for a band. Uh, so is it is a leg band then? Like you'd see a on a goose band, or something? It's a silver leg band. So it's at the taxidermist. I'm getting it mounted and uh, getting it mounted with a dead mount with its foot just kind of kicked out to the side with that band on it. Oh, that's cool. Well, uh, we and, should. Uh, oh, go ahead, Blake. I was gonna say they they uh, instantly ask you when you when on a banded turkey if the uh, band is above the spur or below the spur and these were below the spur, he said they were banded as Jake's because uh, oh. it slides down over the spur, I guess. Oh, sure. They all, they all band them high, but then it'll bounce down below the spur. So it was pretty, pretty uh, interesting information they had on those turkeys and they had traveled, uh, I believe, and I'll have stuff in front of me. It was almost 11 miles. Oh, really? By the time from where I'd shot them. Yeah. Was there is there a river connecting the properties then, or some sort of uh, Savannah, yeah, the Savannah River, which is a major river, runs down into the ocean right there. So, okay, it, uh, and it's not a big river like y'all's rivers. It's a quarter of a mile wide. It's not too wide right there. But some turkey, like a turkey corridor, basically. That's that right. Running, yeah, that's cool. I love that. I love that banding research. You know, I just love, I love learning about wildlife and their behaviors, which when I commented on that live stream trail camera post and I said, you know what, I, I can see the issues with it. You know, it's like, like live scopes and fishing, you know, right. as technology improves, some people are going to wonder if it's going to ruin it for everybody. And you have to, you just have to figure out, you have to keep ethics as part of the question at all times. And I just said, well, maybe it's as simple as taking down a live streaming capable camera during the open hunting season. You know, cell right. cameras are pretty, pretty uh, effective. If a live stream is going to be an issue, just because I, I would put them up year round just so I can watch wildlife, man. I, I'm all about putting cameras up and seeing wildlife in their natural environment, you know, displaying natural behaviors. So I think it's pretty neat. Um, 
Blake, we should probably wrap this up, but we should probably talk about TSS a little bit. Tell us, tell us about uh, this ammunition. So we make tungsten ammunition. Um, tungsten, as as y'all know from the fishing world, just a, a little bit different ball game there. So obviously denser than lead and steel and anything else out there. So we're making a waterfowl shell and uh, mainly turkey loads. That's what uh, what everybody's wanting. So. Uh, the craze hit a few years ago and we kind of jumped on the bandwagon, started hand loading some stuff and then kind of migrated into making uh, commercial loads. And we've, we've had a tough run at it, just like everybody else trying to, trying to get there with COVID and then just the world we live in. But uh, tungsten's great. It's, it's changing the game as well. It's, it's uh, for turkeys typically where you were using a, uh, say a four or five shot, uh, lead shot um out of a 12 gauge with a three and a half inch shell and you knew your range was 45 to 50 yards max uh you can now with tungsten swap to a 20 gauge three inch shell and easily cover a 55 or 60 yard shot That's with crazy. Uh, ounce and five eighths of nines and everybody says nines and if you look at a density chart um basically if you compare back to steel shots easy to do like a nine is equivalent to a number two steel uh and for the longest time you know in duck hunting i always shot number twos and i always try to tell people the easiest thing to explain to somebody that doesn't know anything about tungsten or shooting is if you take a a number two let's say a kent fast steel number two duck load shoot it at 40 yards you're going to shoot say a 45 inch pattern 42 inch pattern and still holds about 70% retention. And in that pattern, there's 75 to 80 pellets. Hmm. Well, 75 to 80 pellets spread out over 48 inches. You got gapping like that and, and that. So you'll shoot ducks and, um, you know, we've all done it. You wing it and, and you see the duck wing and wobble and just keep flying. So you take that number two. Now you're, you're hunting with a number nine, which has the same penetration and uh, mass but you're putting 360 pellets in that same pattern. Now you're gapping in your spacings an inch and a half inch at the most. So when you hit that bird, you don't wing that bird or you don't hit him in the foot. You hit that bird with eight or 10 pellets and it's killing those birds. You're not, you're not getting your cripples. You're not getting all of, all of that. And, uh, Typically, I mean, we've all duck hunted. We know it. We'd shoot a canvas back. You shoot him twice in the air. You shoot him the first time, you hit him <laughs> sailing. You hit him a second time in the air, and he hits the ground or hits the water and dives. And then you shoot him six times, chasing him around in the boat as he's diving. So you kill this duck. Well, do the math now. A box, these are these are turkey shells here, so it's a little bit different. But waterfowl shells, there's 10 in a box, and uh, they retail $50 a box. So you're shooting a $5 shell and people are like, ah, oh, God, I don't want to shoot a $5 shell. And I said, why? It just costs you $7 and 50 cent to kill that canvas back with a, with a black cloud, nothing against black cloud, but because you shot him twice in the air and at least three or four times on the water. And those shells are, are 55 or $60 a box now for 25. So do the math. You're, you're way better. It's an ethical kill, ethical, easier kill. Not having to send your dog, you're not chasing things down the river. It, uh, it's just a game changer, man. And then um, anybody that shoots it once will, will swear they'll never swap back over. And we're working on some different loads for these upland guys, like y'all up there and shooting pheasant. And uh, 
it gives you a lot more range. It holds a better pattern. It's uh, each pellet is consistent. There, I mean, we we get it in uh, by the pallet, but they're basically in 110 pound uh, just little buckets. You can go through the entire bucket, and the they're all millispect out that they are the exact same size pellet. So your pattern is consistent, just shot after shot um, with tungsten and you're getting that range and everything else. And I think to me, when I realized tungsten was cool, I had a uh, one of my best friends, Greg Greenway, was with me and we were hunting, turkey hunting. And uh, we had one bird coming in. He's, he's steady coming. He's a couple hundred yards out, but he's coming. And we know he's going to pop out in this one little area. And we're both facing the same way. And I... I leaned around there and I told Greg, I was like, whoever gets a shot first, shoot the bird, you know. I got my 20 gauge, he's shooting his 12 gauge. His, uh, his dad taught me how to hunt. So me and Greg have been best friends our whole life. But bird comes around, he's out there probably 80 yards and he gets it to about 60 yards, maybe 57, 58 yards. And Greg, I hear him click his safety off. He's going to let him get in about 40 yards and shoot him. So I've got a 20 gauge. So I click the safety off and shoot the bird real quick. And it falls over and starts flopping. And Greg looks at him and he's like, what are you doing? I said, no, I told you whoever could shoot the bird first. And he looked at me. I said, it's not my fault you're shooting a Walmart shell that'll only shoot 30 yards and mine will shoot 60. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that changed his game. He stepped it up and just like, hey, maybe we ought to do something else. So it uh, that to me was probably one of the turning points. I was hand loading shells then uh, just for myself. And it uh, kind of changed the game. But it... Uh, it's it's big people people in the turkey world are, are swapping over pretty quick uh it it bothers people when you tell them you want to shoot a, a, a turkey guy that's been shooting tungsten for two or three years is shooting number nines or number sevens killing an 18 to 20 pound turkey with it at 55 yards they'll call and they'll say hey what duck load do i need i said what are you hunting it's like i'm hunting the timber in arkansas so you need a two and three quarter one ounce number nine no, 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 I need something bigger to kill these ducks. So why do you need something bigger? I, I, a number nine's not going to work. And I'll ask him, yeah. I said, how big's a mallard? Eh, a couple pounds. You're going to shoot a 20-pound turkey with it at 60 yards and kill it with a number nine, but you're concerned with killing a mallard that weighs two pounds at 25 yards in front of you with the same pellet. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you hear this pause for a second, and then they're like, Damn, I guess you're right. And uh, I shoot geese, and we make a seven shot and a five shot for waterfowl. I shoot number nines for everything. I shoot geese and everything mm. with number nines. I wow. mean, I don't, I don't try to take fifty yard shots on geese with a number nine, but I shoot everything I shoot with a nine. I think it's. Uh, I are think you shooting it's great. with it? Are you shooting with a twenty gauge or with a twelve gauge? Oh, 20 gauge. Twenty. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. Like twenty gauge is. 20 gauges are just, uh, I, I don't know if they're patterning better out of 20 gauges or what the deal is, but I feel like 20 gauge is the way to go right now. Yeah, 20 gauges, I think that it'll, it'll over time replace. I mean, states right now are just, you know, I, I think when tungsten really hits, and in, in my opinion, in the next five to six years when these states are outlawing lead and the guys have to swap over to something better than lead to shoot upland, that's when they really start realizing uh, the tungsten is great, and they're wanting to shoot sub gauge, twenty gauge, twenty eight gauge, sixteen gauge, these smaller guns, and uh, it just patterns better. It, it patterns better statistically. The best patterning gun I found is, uh, and I, I would believe most everybody would agree in the turkey world, is a Youth eight seventy Remington. Hmm. 
and that barrel being shorter, they've done something when they cut that barrel with the forcing cone. And uh, the best patterning gun is a 20 gauge Youth 870. And it'll just, it holds the tightest pattern and is the most consistent. And in the turkey world, all the turkey guys, that's the, the most sought after gun. I bought a few and built some for some buddies eight or 10 years ago. And we were buying those guns at Academy for $190. And if you find one online now, somebody wants $1,500 for the same gun. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We should, uh, we should talk about fishing real quick too, because you have some fishing products. We do. We sell a uh, tungsten fishing putty, which uh, people think tungsten and putty, that didn't make any sense. But right. it's uh, it's actually the same density. It's 18.9 density. They don't have some of them. I'm no uh, chemist, so I really can't help you there. And I'm not Chinese, so I don't know what they do in the factory. However, uh, they don't add some of the chemical in there. And if you pull the putty out, it's, it's hard-ish, kind of like JB Weld. But the more you roll it in your hand and it warms up when it gets to body temperature it's pliable so once you uh pull it off you can stick it anywhere you want it'll go on your line it'll go on uh, it'll bond to your plastic it'll bond to your hook you can uh, you can put it about anywhere when it touches the water it hardens especially up there with y'all's colder water it'll harden um cast away it won't it won't fly off i mean you can make it fly off but you if you push it on there you're good uh, a lot of guys loving it uh in the south bass fishing trying to find fish uh They'll take just any kind of plug that's a diving plug, and we know the bill's causing that that lure to dive to, say, three and a half feet. They're taking a little bit of putty, placing it at the top of both of those treble hooks, and now causing that bait to suspend down to, say, four foot of water. Now that bait's diving to seven and a half foot. Um, these tournament guys that I, I've seen using it and talked to, they'll use it. They don't use it as much when they're actually fishing as much as when they're finding fish. And they'll use that instead of changing lures and changing um, reels, they'll use putty, change the water level that they're fishing or the the depth. Once they find the fish, then they're changing to the proper lure. But instead of just constantly swapping to find fish, uh, they're using that. It's selling great. We're in all Bass Pro and Cabela's nationwide with it. Uh, we came out with it. Uh, came out, I think we put it on shelves in August. So yeah. it... Uh, it's been going great. Um, it's in Academy as well, and some of the dicks, uh, sporting goods that still sell fishing and hunting apparel. And I think what aren't fly fishermen using it to weigh their weigh their line, put a little more weight in their line too? Yeah, the fly fishermen seem to love it as well because you can pinch off just the tiniest amount and add it right on the on the tip of a nymph or whatever other little fly you're fishing, and give you a little more cast or a little more set in the water or if it's windy they'll get get that uh, saltwater guys are doing the same kind of the same thing just adding a little bit uh so, on the bottom of those treble hooks okay. dan yelling at you yeah. Yeah. We, we lost our we lost our audio there for a second when it goes in and out it comes in and out real loud so scared the heck out of me right there all right well uh and where can we find all this online blake uh tssfish.com is all our fishing uh, fishing stuff. And then, like I said, we're in uh, Bass Pro Cabela's Academy and Dicks. And then tssshot.us um, is where all our tungsten shot is. And everybody gets on there and says, you're always out of stock. You're always out of stock. It's not that we're always out of stock. It just seems this the ammo business, as quick as you can make ammo, it, uh, it turns awesome. just as quickly. And it's a, a tedious yeah. process to make tungsten. 
Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, we appreciate the time today. Congrats on the deer. And thanks, thanks. for coming on the show. Appreciate y'all having us. Ice fishing season is here. This winter, plan a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch their legendary perch, but this year, Haybell Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. Learn more and book a trip today at haybellheights.com. That's haybellheights.com. Looking for winter adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. All right, this is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on this station on the Sporting Journal Radio Network. You're listening it on demand at sportingjournalradio.com, maybe. Thank you very much. Or watching this on YouTube. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Brett Amundsen. That's Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart with us right over there. And David, have you eaten much uh, bourbon or eel pot? No, never have. Um, we were watching some videos on it last night on YouTube, and uh, they were they were frying it. And I was telling Dan, I think I like it better, like boiled in a in a Seven Up, like the back straps. You know, you can maybe fry some of the tail up, but the back, the back strap seemed like. Uh, um, it, and I don't know. I, I, have you had lobster before? Uh, once was not a fan. He didn't like it. No. Hmm. See, I you know I I like it. I don't know if it's always justified the paying you know paying the price for it. it's kind of right. spendy. Uh, but they call it the poor man's lobster, the yield pot. So I kind of like that whole. And anytime you can dip stuff in melted butter. <laughs> like it's going to be delicious, but I haven't done it for a while. The last time I did it was in a sleeper house at Lake of the woods. And Joe Henry joins us right now from Lake of the woods tourism to talk about uh, sleeper houses and fishing up there at the big lake. And I want to get a fishing report from you, Joe, but I think the sleeper houses, do they come with like a big pot and uh, like a two liter to seven up to boil some, some bourbon in? Well, you know, for, first things first, you know, our, our family normally has uh, lobster. Yeah. Usually not very often, a couple times a week. And, uh, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like you guys, you know, when I have lobster, it's poor man's lobster and that's called a eel pout or burbot or freshwater cod or a, a lawyer, another name for them. They have a lot of names, you know, but, but really, you know what that is, it is a freshwater cod and that consistency of the flesh is just a little different. You know, you can take the, the, the back straps off that rib cage and then you take the two different pieces of tail meat on each side. And I'll tell you, it's a real white meat. You cube it, and then bread, as you were talking about, some people like uh, uh, boiling it in 7-Up. Some people use salt water, um, and then you dip it in melted butter, and uh, boy, I tell you, it's delish. In fact, I just saw somebody else that what they did is they put, um, I think they seasoned it a little bit. They put a little bit of oil on it, seasoned it, the chunks, and I think they almost, if I want to mistake it, I think they just fried it um, in a pan, but uh, almost like scallops. But what they did is they mm. put a little bit of salt on them, but they didn't put the salt on until the very end because they didn't want to draw the moisture out. Very interesting way they did it. And that was yet another way. Heck, I know people that fry them just like walleyes, and they love them fried. So I, I don't think there's a wrong way to cook that kind of meat. Well, I know our buddy Trevor up in Saskatchewan, he loves them. He targets them all the time. And, and uh, he, said he, he said he fries them, but he fries them with 
in like like almost in water so it's almost like boiling them but it's like a it's like a oil and water mixture almost which is which mm-hmm. i'd never heard of before so i think he's it's like boiling it with some oil maybe uh hot temps so i don't know but he loves it feeds the whole family that way they all they all love to eat it up there and uh you know, Joe, that's that's kind of a nice option, I think, up at Lake of the Woods. If you're staying in one of those sleeper houses, you know, obviously the walleye bite is uh, definitely uh, a little more active during the day. And you can get into some eel pout during the day, too. Or or maybe if you're staying out there, might be able to pick out an eel, pick up an eel pout overnight and then uh, boil it up while you're staying out there on the ice. Well, and, and that's exactly it. You know, and here's what's funny is that, you know, that people say, well, there's no night bite at Lake of the Woods at night. Well, there, there, it's not that there's no night bite. It's just that you don't have to be there at night, and I don't think it's as good as the day bite. However, people that stay in the sleeper, I mean, if you're there anyway, you got lines down, and you'd be surprised how many walleyes do get caught, you sure. know, in, in the darkness. Um, but you're right, eel pout are notorious for being, you know, a night feeder. Look at that one. And, Jeez. Yeah, it's a good one there. Yummy, yum, 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 yum. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, that that big, that big uh, pout intrigues me. But you know what intrigues me about that pout? Man, I'd love to get that thing on the cleaning table and see what uh, what's inside that belly. Yeah, what what it was eaten. I mean, sometimes I've heard I, I've I've talked to many people. You know, we did a video not that long ago, um, last year I think, where I cleaned an eel paw that was real fat and it had a little walleye in it and it had a bunch of crayfish. Heck, I've spoken to people, many people, that said, heck, I've opened up eel paw where the crayfish are still kind of crawling around and moving, hmm. which is pr- pretty interesting, you know. But uh, um, but no, I tell you, those eel paw are they're nocturnal, so if you're going to stay in a sleeper. Um, Brett, I'll tell you something. You know, a sleeper fish house is for some people. Oh, there, there's that video Danny found. Yep. And that's where I pull that out once in there. And that's a, you know, when, when you got a big gut full of something, what's in there, you know? So I cut that baby open. It was a small walleye and a whole bunch of crayfish, whole bunch of them in there. I just, it's I just not. find it so strange that crayfish are such a popular forage for, you know, eel pout or walleyes or bass, of course. I feel, and especially if some of them are still alive crawling around, you think it'd be painful eating something like that. Right. Yeah. But you know what? They're not like us. I mean, they're, you know, they, they're, they, they get that, uh, that, I guess that mass in their stomach and it satisfies them, satisfies them. And then their, their chemicals the acids and things in their stomach break that stuff down eventually, obviously. But yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting, you know, and, it just goes to show, though, those eel pellet, they, uh, they'll eat just about anything, I think. You know, they don't eat in the summer. They're, they're very dormant in the summer. You hardly ever see one caught. Yet when that ice comes, boy, I tell you, they get active. You know, we got a lot of them on Lake of the Woods. I mean, we, you know, uh, and it was so interesting because it used to be that back in the day, people, and this, it's always illegal to throw any kind of fish out, you know, and waste fish. But people would throw them out on the ice and you'd see eagles and ravens eating them well now the word's out how good eating they are and people are coming up now saying okay i'm going after my wallets and my saugers man i hope i catch a couple eel pot one here for an appetizer you know yeah look at that one jace uh, yeah what a, what a good shot that is isn't it well there's so much fun to catch and uh the, the obviously the attitude and perception of these fish has changed in recent years and they're, they're becoming a popular catch and release fish i i still have no problem keeping one to eat you know it's just like anything else you know keep a couple to eat throw a lot back whatever maybe be picky on the size that you're keeping and things like that but man eat one up they're uh they're delicious and and obviously they're they're becoming less of a rough fish and more of a game fish in the eyes of even management and the dnr now nowadays uh but i remember that one i caught up at uh the northwest angle joe you and i and jamie dittman were in, were in a house together fishing and and uh I thought it was a big walleye for a while, and then uh, sure enough, a big eel pout came through the floor. So they, they they're, they're fun fish to catch. That, yeah, that one had such good color on it too, didn't it? Yeah, 
They're neat looking I mean, fish. They're, yeah, they're neat looking fish. Well, I remember it's kind of cool because that was such a nice looking uh, photo of that eel pout. Now the, the angler holding it, you know, had something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> radio, but, well, I tell you that pout was nice looking. Why did I, I just I'll see that? I just. Of, I just saw that in some Lake of the Woods advertisement somewhere, That's too. That's the one we run every week. That's the one we run? Okay, yeah. yeah. Thanks oh. for watching our show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a part of it. I know what's on you're, you're one of the few. You're one of the few that does. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, uh, no. I was going to say, though, all kidding aside, you know, uh, that, that picture was such a neat picture from inside a fish house with just the way that the eel pout was kind of curled up. The colors on that eel pout were cool, and I've used that myself, and you know, some different promotions and stuff for, for just advertising ice fishing at Lake of the Woods, but just a neat photo. And they're, they're, the coloration on those fish are cool. You know, when people say, if you've never held one, people say they wrap around your arm. Well, truly, they don't really wrap around your arm. They curl up, you know, they curl you. It's hard to get a picture where that eel pout is straight. If you do, it's like, okay, snap it now, snap it now. <laughs> if yeah. they ever straighten out, they're always curled, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're so strong. I mean, they're like one big muscle. Really, so yeah. they just curl up all like that all the time. I think it's funny when you try to release them. A lot of times they're so they're curled up so much that they don't. And sometimes it's hard to get them back down the hole right away. Yeah. They come up backwards. Well, they, yeah, yeah. They do, they, a lot of times go down backwards. I agree. Yeah. Well, you know what's it's cool too is uh, uh, those darn fit. I mean, uh, when you try to grab them out of the hole, they're not easy to grab. It's like you almost have to try to get a finger under their gill. If you grab them around the head, they're quite slippery, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're tough to tough to hold on to, uh, a lot of times, and they're a fun fish to catch, Joe. And how how is fishing up at Lake of the Woods right now? You know, fishing fishing is good. You know, but I will say this: people are catching a lot of small fish. So, you know, we're we're catching a lot of small fish. We're getting uh, we're getting our eaters. We're getting our a uh, nice our, our eater saugers, <laughs> and then once in a while you're going to get the slot walleye, which is at 19 and a half to 28. The, the variety you take a picture of and release, or once in a while you get a trophy that's over 28. So I just talked to uh, one of our resorters yesterday, uh, uh, Deanna over at Zipple Bay, and they had two 30 plus inches caught yesterday morning alone. Mm. So they were pretty excited about that. You know, people were excited, I should say. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, fishing's been good. I will say this, you know, people this time of year, those fish are getting more spread out. A lot of our fish houses are getting spread out over the mud following those walleyes out to deeper water and you know you, you a lot of times when those fish are more spread out you're not going to catch as many because they're not as concentrated and then you are going to catch a lot of small fish that's just the way it is and you know like one of the guides put it he goes uh he goes, you know what hey uh we, we are catching a lot of small fish you'll certainly get your eaters and get enough for a fish fry and it's still better than uh, it's still better ice fishing for walleyes than anywhere else you ever go yeah, we do hear a lot of complaining on social media <laughs> about the small fish. And, you know, it's just it's just the way of the world, I guess. Well, I'm excited to get up there. We're going to be up there next weekend um, for the Aglow coming up on Sunday and then uh, spending a couple of days out there on the big lake. So, And then there's going to be, I think Riverbend is hosting. You got the details there, Dan? I'll find them, yep. Give me a so, second. Uh, tap dance for a bit. For anybody that's not you know, part of a glow or wants to learn a little bit more about what a glow is. And maybe you want to get into the outdoor industry. Um, they've got a package right now where you can come up and stay at Riverbend where we're going to be up there for the glow deal. And you can, you can do some fishing, hang out, and then you can uh, talk to some of us while we're up there and learn a little bit more about outdoor media and content creation and things like that. And also get to get to fish uh, Lake of the Woods while you're there for a couple of days. And I, I talked to Brian Smith and he said that uh, he and Greg Jones are going to be up on stage singing, I think a couple of nights. Yeah. Monday and Tuesday, they're going to play. And I said, Brian, did Greg, make you learn guy in a buffalo yet 
<laughs> and he goes, not yet, not yet, but I'm sure he's going to make me, you know, I'll have to get on there and learn it. And that's a uh, great Brian th- impression. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And, uh, it was funny. He was talking to me and he's like, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we just get up there and, and we just kind of make our way through it. And Greg will look at me and be like, you know, Brian, I'm, uh, we, I can't believe we made it through that one. <laughs> so I think it'll be fun. You'll have some some live entertainment from those guys up there. Maybe even Guy in a Buffalo. I, I prompted him in the Facebook deal. So oh, yeah. I, I tagged him in a, in a Facebook post. So hopefully he's got the memo and he can practice for the next week. Perfect. Otherwise I'll be a little sad. Well, well, the question I was going to ask is that uh, it's actually really a really good deal they put together for people to come up and uh, you know be able to talk to uh, you guys. I might be up there uh, uh, a little bit. And then, of course, listen to – to uh, Brian Smith and Greg Jones sing and stuff, but you know, do they get a, do, do they pay more for that or do they get a discount? For that? <laughs> That's the part I'm trying to figure out. I, mean, I think, I don't know, knowing, knowing you guys, if I had to put up with you guys, I'd say you knock that sucker down about 75% out. <laughs> yeah. So now I know why you have a show to go to next yeah. week. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, but I, I will say, you know, the whole, the whole crowd is going to be a very good crowd up there. And you know what? Uh, you know, fishing's fun. It's enjoyable enough coming going on Lake of the Woods, you know, and, uh, you know, Riverbend does a great job. Of course, then, you know, having some media up there that maybe you've never met in person. And, you know, I can speak for, uh, I know just about everybody that's going to be up there. Very down-to-earth people, very good people, but but also very passionate and a, a lot of fun. Well, and we're going to be up there with uh, Live Target and Smith's Consumer Products and uh, trying out some of those some of those baits that, David, you and I tried the other day. Yep. Some crappies on. We'll be trying them on some walleyes up there. So it's going to be a fun time. That, I'm excited. Maybe that we'll see what's, what's that rattle bait called for uh, Live Target? The that, live, that lipless green bait. The, the Live Target rattle bait. The rattle bait. That, that, called, that rattle is what it's called. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We caught that, them. That allure, that, that intrigues me. You know, I, I, I've used, you know, I talk about the rip and wrap a lot, the rap a lot, but but that live target one looks very good also. And boy, they got some very interesting colors in that too. Well, I'm excited. I want to try that Sonic Shad up there. I want to try the Golden Shiner and uh, that Erratic Shiner that David almost didn't give back to me the other night. Right. <laughs> I almost, it almost I think accidentally I, fell into my pocket. I think I have one I can give you. Yeah, we've got a few more. Well, you know, but, and that, it's interesting that Smith's Consumer Products, of course, what that is, is a brand of, you know, knives and knife sharpeners and things. You know, I saw a new product that came out with those guys recently. I was kind of intrigued about it. Did you see that? Uh, yeah, they got good flat knives and stuff, right? And it would be fun to fun to use that new stuff with a real nice hand grips on them. But uh, that bone knife, did you see that for for deer hunting? The, uh, it's, got a, it's got a serrated edge on it. You know, it's for cutting through the rib cage and cutting that pelvic oh, bone down. And when you're yeah, the deer. bone saw. Yeah. The bone yep. saw. Yeah, yeah. And, uh but you know that's just uh, just a neat looking uh, deal there. But it had that real comfortable grip, and it was a little bit longer than I'm used to. And I noticed it had kind of had a blunt end on it too, so which which I like because for obvious reasons, you know. Well, they came out with a number of new products there at Shot Show this week, and uh, they're debuting a bunch of new products there. That bone that's saw. Hang on. They. You're asking me to hang on, or? Well, I, I, I pulled keep... up the wrong product. That's my fault. Okay, should so... I keep talking? Yeah, you can keep talking. That was the right product. That, uh, uh, that I think that was the. I think that was the. Yeah, six-inch uh, folding bone saw. That was. Yep. That's right there. Um, and then they well, got that a... is the right one. I was thinking it was the limb saw. I thought it pulled up the limb saw. I did pull up the right one. Well, congratulations, yeah. Dan. You did your job yeah. right. You've got a <laughs> wow. A hey, replaceable hey, Brett, blade. Hey, Brett, when you're doing his performance review, just remember he did something right. I'm just so used to not doing it right that I assumed I was wrong. Well, they've got that. They've got a new replaceable razor blade uh, knife, two and a half inch replaceable uh, 
blade. They've got a new bushcraft, four and a half inch bush, bushcraft hunting knife, uh, a field dressing combo kit, and a survival camp shovel. But uh, yeah, so they got some cool new stuff out. And well, that sure survival we'll camp that. shovel, that's, uh, yeah, maybe leave that one. I, I don't know about that one. I can make some good jokes on that one. <laughs> it's like I was, talking to, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he says, yeah. My daughter's getting to the age where she's just starting to date. So he says, I, he says, I, her boyfriend came over and I just smiled at him and says, you know, I work in heavy equipment and I got a big, big backhoe in the back, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, now that we know where to hide the bodies, we yeah. should probably wrap this, wrap this show up. Uh, people well, listen, wanna... we're talking about bone saws and backhoes. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we need? If you, know? if you tuned in at the wrong time, we're getting reported <laughs> to the to somebody. No, you know what? Hey, all that stuff is about we get so many in our wallets and soggers. You got to have a place to dump the guts. That's, That's right. right. Keep it clean. There you go. Keep it clean. That's right. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about Keep It Clean next week here on the show, I'm sure, too. And if, Joe, if people want to find out more about Lake of the Woods right now, what should they do? You know what? Uh, check out our website, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.